This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangerstick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. All right, hello, welcome everyone back to the B-Ball Index podcast. I am your host for today, Cranjus McBasketball. You can call me Tim. And today we have a special guest with us. Uh, Tom is not with us today. He will be back on Wednesday and we will be reacting to the whatever moves the Lakers make between now and then. We'll be talking probably the CP3 trade and what, whatever other big moves happen in the NBA. But for today, we have Zach Milner with us. Zach, if you're not familiar with him, he's a great guy, perfect for this podcast because he's both a draft specialist uh, and also a Lakers fan. Um, Zach, uh, if you do know him from Twitter, he's at Zach Milner 13. If you don't know him, I would strongly encourage you go follow him as you're listening to this or after you listen to his, this. He has a bunch of uh, great takes. He's done a little bit of work with us over at B-Ball Index in the past. Um, and you can find his work over at the Stepion. And then also he does some work with uh, Pro B-Ball Combine. Zach, how you doing today? Ah, not too bad. Uh, we are recording this just so everyone gets some context uh, at like 2 p.m. Eastern on Monday, just like an hour or two after trades are allowed to be happening. So uh, <laughs> if we have any like we may have some live trade reactions or things like that as we record this, um, but it's. It's an interesting time to be a Lakers fan. We've had to pivot what this podcast would look like uh, just from what has happened in the past day or two with uh, the Dennis Schroeder trade, the Lakers likely going into the draft without a first-round pick. Um, and I don't believe we have a second-round pick, but the Lakers will be potentially looking to purchase some as we've seen them do in the past. And with how great that scouting department has been, we, we certainly want to still cover the draft in some respects. So uh, we've got you in here today to talk through some prospects, some of the guys I know, some of the guys I've never heard of. Um, so maybe I'm entering this from a good perspective, perhaps the same as some of our listeners where really I just need you to, to tell me what's up, who am I rooting for, who would be a good fit, all those sorts of different things. But before we get to that, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background uh, and, and the draft work that you do these days? Yeah, so so right now I've been uh, writing for the Stepien, um, do some writing some articles and all that stuff there with scouting reports and such. And then also last year and this year I was working with pro, the Pro Basketball Combine. Last year we held the Combine and uh, we had some players like Kerwin Roach, Emmett Williams, Desmond Bain was there last year who shot up a lot of boards this year. So just that that 
We had interviews. We had a full, it was pretty much a secondary combine. So last year there's the NBA combine, the G League combine, and then we had the pro b-ball combine. So just working with that and a step in and that's pretty much it. Nice. Sweet. Well, that is uh, a lot, some really great background and, and definitely uh, what you say on Twitter and what you say in those scouting reports definitely carries a lot of weight. So really happy to have you on today. Before we talk prospects, I just want to get your quick reactions to what we heard reported yesterday, which was that the Lakers have a trade lined up that they will be executing, um, bringing in Dennis Schroeder from the Oklahoma City Thunder point of attack defender that is a primary ball handler guard point guard option uh, likely meaning that Rajon Rondo's out um, and in exchange for him the Lakers will be sending along Danny Green and the 28th pick uh, I don't think I'm missing any details there but if I am let me know uh, and this I, I think we want to evaluate this within the grander scheme of things which we don't quite have yet because one for one, they're not the same position, not, they don't do the same job. Um, and, and really, we may look at this in a week as, you know, instead of Rondo and Green, we have Schroeder and Wes Matthews or Schroeder and some other wing stopper, Mo Harkless or, or somebody like that. I'm not sure exactly what it'll look like yet, but what, how, do you, how have you viewed that trade? What are some of your early reactions and where you might see him fitting in with the Laker team? Yeah, I think the perfect way to put it was like we don't really know how everything's going to look um, based off now because they aren't the same position. Uh, I mean, if Schroeder repeats his year like last year, I mean, it's a great addition to the team. He was a really good uh, shot maker last year, and the Lakers really need that. But at the same time, losing Danny Green on defense, uh, it's just another hole that the Lakers had, which they weren't even that deep at that position last year with wing defenders. Mm -hmm. So. that's my concern there. So if, if they can go into free agency and they can bring in someone else, like if they do bring in Wes Matthews to, to fill that role while he's not as good as Danny Green, I'm much more open to the trade. And so I'm not against the trade. I'm not for the trade right now. I'm still up in the air. It just depends on how the roster looks at the end of the offseason. So I, I see both sides. Um, and I know people have mentioned the Danny Green injury and whether he can recover in a short offseason and all that stuff. So I, I definitely understand the trade. Um, I can't say if I very happy or, or upset or all that stuff yet until I see the rest of the roster and what moves they have in mind. That makes a lot of sense. And one can certainly make the case that the Lakers are selling low on Danny Green with him coming off of a playoff. So he didn't perform all that well. He was potentially playing through injury with an Achilles issue. He looked slower defensively. He wasn't quite the same. Offensively, he wasn't the same and he wasn't knocking down shots. And we were maybe a game away in the finals from Miami just starting to just completely leave him alone. Because if he's not hitting shots, but you still have to respect his gravity, he still adds value. But if the defense sees that he's not hitting shots and then starts sending extra help at LeBron or AD, that that is really where things start to fall apart and his value plummets. Um, so if he is still recovering and maybe he doesn't start off this next season with that quick turnaround 100%, starting off slow, being eased into the season, I can see why the Lakers may have interest in moving on. I can also see why OKC bringing him in, if they can show that he can still be the guy that he was in the regular season last year, which was the Lakers' third best player, honestly. Um, Great three-point shooter, great defender. Uh, He was a a good player. And I think there's some revisionist history in people on Twitter thinking that he just wasn't good last year. He he was good. And then in the playoffs, it it kind of fell apart. So on, on the OKC side, there's a chance for them to play his value back up and then trade him a second time uh, next season for some assets, which I love for them. 
Um, on the Lakers side, you can say that maybe they're they're buying high on Schroeder coming off of a career three point shooting season, uh, and. I, I, I honestly do have a little bit of concern about that, um, but we, I don't know. We'll dig into it a little bit more. I'd love to watch more tape on him, and he's definitely, like you said, a scorer that the Lakers can bring in to address that need, which which they've had last season, and I, I think he really helps to to fill that gap. So yes, so pretty much I, I, I agree, and like I said, like it, it can definitely work out for the Lakers. There's also a scenario where it looks like a bad trade, mm-hmm. so we'll see. Um, one thing that I do have some concern with is – Wes Matthews would fit the role to an extent, um, but if, if he doesn't come, it is pretty hard to find someone that the Lakers can can afford, and even in this free agency class, that can defend and space the floor. Like, like Mo Harkless isn't going to really space the floor that much. Um, so it just depends on on what they bring in to how I'll, I'll overall feel. Yeah, that makes sense. So stamp at everyone. Uh, it's It's easy to get hot takes off. It's easy to call the Lakers dumb or to call Rob Polinka genius, but let's let's give it a week, give it a week or two, and and see exactly what those subsequent moves look like, and then we can get a better sense for if it was a good move or a bad move. And honestly, we probably need to see these guys play and see which Danny Green shows up next year and which Dennis Schroeder shows up next year. So, moving that aside, talking prospects. Uh, we have a short list of one, two, three, four, five, six different players we're going to talk about today. And the goal with this is to look for guys who the Lakers may be, you, you may just be watching the draft very passively, talk, talking crap on Twitter. And then all of a sudden we we get that Woj bomb or, or Shams tweeting something and whoop, there's a Lakers trade. They've bought a early or mid or second, uh, late second round pick. And then suddenly they're making a move for one of these guys. So we want to give this audience a little bit of a sense for who some of those targets might be. And the first guy that we're going to talk about is a guard who I am not super familiar with because he's played four seasons at the College of Charleston in the CAA. That's Grant Riller, uh, 6'3", 190 uh, from Florida. He shot 36% from three this past season, scored over 21, just just about 22 points a game. What what do you see with him that can be appealing for the Lakers, and what sorts of strengths might he be bringing to this team if the team did bring him in in the draft? Yeah, so he was actually my my number one guy at the Lakers. Were going to be at 28, although he wasn't going to go that high, and I'd even take him higher than that. So he's probably one of my favorite players in the draft overall. Um, his, his strength is like we just talked about. The Lakers needed that score, someone who could self create. He, he, he's someone who can really score the ball off the dribble. He can shoot and play off the ball as well. And he's a really, really good finisher and he's athletic. He has one of the best first steps in the class. There's just so much to like about his, his offensive game. He might be one of the most offensively gifted guys in the whole class. Wow. And, and being at a smaller program probably takes him off of the radar for some folks, um, maybe on the, the team or scouting side, but certainly on the, the fan side. If you could compare him with obviously he's not like the same player, but what, what type of like offensive role do you think he would fit into? Like what offensive, I guess, archetype um, using the ones that we've introduced to this offense, I'm sorry, this, uh, not this offense, this audience in the past, who, who, what kinds of players is he like, or what sorts of offensive uh, role might he have with the Lakers? Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of comparisons because they're always taken out of context and like, it's always hard to compare these players to to stars because that never really happens. But I will say I would put him as like the, the shot creator kind of archetype. Um, I think not this kind of outcome is realistic, but like I, I see him playing like a Dame Lillard. He's not that good, but mm-hmm. he sort of plays in that kind of way. So so that's how I see him. 
That makes sense. And and with any of the, you know, we're going to take a college guy or an international guy or a G League guy and bring them onto the team. A lot of these players, even if they're a role player in the NBA, like Danny Green, he was probably a more versatile used, more, you know, on ball kind of guy before he came to the NBA. Same as just about everyone else. Um, these are the best players in the world. They're there for a reason. And as you take some of these players and you have to fit them in with these NBA teams, their roles generally shrink a bit and, and players will play off ball more. And you just kind of have to watch them go through that ladder of roles all over again, the way they may have in the past. Um, looking to how he was used in college, because again, I haven't watched him play. I don't have much background, but I can have some numbers that we can pull up. One resource that I want to talk about is a uh, resource that Chris Feller, I believe, put together, which is a 2020 NBA draft survival analysis mathematical thing that takes a bunch of mock drafts from different analysts and basically tells us the chance, the percent chance that a certain player will be available at a certain range in the draft. Um, If we are looking at Riller for, I don't know, let's say pick number 30, this gives him about like a 95% chance to be available there. If we look at pick number 40, he's still at about 90%. If we look at pick 50, he's maybe 20, a little bit under 20%. So it looks like he'll go in that, uh, what is it, maybe like 40 to 50 range somewhere in there. So he's, depending on when the Lakers, if the Lakers get a second round pick, he may or may not be available. Um, so that's one good resource to keep in mind. And then the other thing I'm going to do is just pull up some synergy stats and pull him up and, yeah, wow. Uh, his top play type was running the pick and roll, 97th percentile efficiency. Uh, he was pretty good in isolation. He was a good spot-up shooter, really good off the dribble, really good catching and shooting, um, did a pretty good job driving. Obviously, you, you have to just take this for what it is, which was how he performed on the Charleston Cougars. But uh, it's it's obviously you're looking for players who succeeded in the past to then go and succeed in the future at that higher degree of difficulty rather than guys who struggled in the past and then expect them to just take some huge jump out of nowhere. So that's that's really all I have to add when it comes to him. What, what can you tell us about his potential weaknesses or what might be holding him back in some team's eyes? Why might he be available to the Lakers in the second round? Yeah, I think it's a, a combination of just the competition he played and his defense. In a, in a in a bad conference, he hasn't particularly been a good defender either, even throughout like even while he was older. So it's a little bit concerning. But at the same time, I think that you never really know what these kind of players because he shows flashes of being a physical. He can move his feet because he's athletic. He he's he's strong and he can slide his feet with people. So I think it's a combination of knowing what or you have to project his defense because there might be a point where he's just he's usage is so high where he just is tired and he doesn't want to use that much energy on the defensive end so it's tough when it comes to those players who have the highest usage in in college um one thing that i will say is i watched his game versus oklahoma state this year which was probably one of the best teams they played and his defense looked better in that game he's making good (laughs) off-ball rotations does some good stuff on the ball and don't get me wrong. He does lose. Like he, he does have some bad defensive possessions in that game as well. But it was still a more promising game. So I think where I am compared to other people is I'm just a little more optimistic about his defense. And I, I do understand the concerns. And he might not be a good defender. But I think there's stuff to project there. And if you add that to how 
um, good he is on offense, then it's a really good player. I think some other people might be concerned with the competition on offense. Will the shot making translate because he's a really good shot maker? Um, but I, I think it will to a certain extent as well. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and I think that answers the next question I was going to have, which was if there were a specific skill or two that he was just there's uncertainty about or or he may need to improve to suddenly be a steal at that spot it it sounds like okay if the shot making translates and if that defense is just okay if it's good enough he would be a pretty good value at that pick is is that the right interpretation of of what we're looking with him in terms of how it would likely pan out if he ends up being a, a good draft a good pick at that slot yeah for sure those, those two are those are like the swing skills pretty much and mm-hmm. If those do happen, I would say that he's a top 20 guy in this class. So wow. the fact that he's he's falling so far is a little weird to me, but I, I understand the concerns. Um, but yeah, he, he can be someone that's a really good value in this draft, which is why I've been pretty high on him all season. Okay. Um, one thing that I found on, on Bartorvik.com is since 2008 – there have been four college guards between six foot and six six. So I, I took away like the, the very small guards, pretty much um, between six and six six, with a thirty two usage or more, a sixty true shooting percentage or more, and then a two and a half steal percentage or more. There's been only been four, and it's Steph, Dame, James Harden, and Grant Riller. Wow. So he, obviously uh, worse competition than the others. Although Dame was at a mid major, and so was Steph. But even seeing James Harden do that at a high major conference is very impressive, but yeah, he, he's just a very talented player. That's awesome. Yeah. That'll be someone to keep an eye on. If he is drafted by the Lakers offensively, I, I think we, I think I'd consider him a, either a primary ball handler or a shot creator. Um, for the Lakers, I guess that the spot, if he were to play would be leading a second unit potentially. If, if, Schroeder's out there with that first line group and he's able to take on those ball handling responsibilities. And we just need someone off the bench that's not an Alex Caruso or, or I don't know, if KCP's out there, if we bring him back. Those aren't quite, you know, run your offense kind of players. Would would he be somebody that, you know, if he is drafted, you're looking for that primary ball handler on offense and then defensively, I guess he'd either be a point of attack defender or maybe one of those off-ball chasers. Where, where do you think he'd fit best, at least right now, based on on what you know about him? Yeah, so what I had what I had down for him is, yeah, his, his two potential roles on defense would be the point of attack or chase. Um, like I said, it just comes down to if he's engaged or not and ha- how much his um, defense last year was just because of how high his usage was. Um, but those are the two things I would do with him. And, and yeah, I think that he's a, can be looked at like a, as a, as a six man, like kind of guy who can shot create off the bench for the Lakers. If, if he, they were to take him, mm-hmm. um, the, the thing with him is he's also a good off ball player. He's a really good finisher at the rim. And also he's a good spot up shooter Th- throughout his college career. Um, four seasons on, on spot up threes, he shot 40.9%, uh, 79 for 193. So nice. he's a good shooter as well. Um, I think one thing with his shot is you probably want to see a little bit more range with him because his shot is a little bit flat. But I was actually at Grant Riller's Pro Day um, last week, and his, his shot looks good. I know it's an open gym and stuff, but the shot looks good, even from longer range. He's, he's making the shots. They're not missing short. And, yeah, at the Pro Day, it was, it was a really good Pro Day. He was able to show his athleticism. And his handles. I, I didn't mention his handles earlier, but his handles are really good. It might be one of the best in the class as well. So just there's just so much to like about his game. Nice. Realistically, 
what would you expect, or I guess when would you expect him to make an impact on the Lakers? If, if they're drafting him, he's a, a four-year college guy. Do we think that he's more a ready-to-plug-in-and-do-what-he-does sort of player, or would he be someone more like a THT that we may want to give a year or two and temper expectations for when, when he might actually break I, into I the think rotation? it's pretty tough with, with the Lakers specifically just because they are a contender, so you have to be really good to actually produce. But for, mm-hmm. for these guys like future guys as well. It, like it's going to be the same thing. It's tough to produce on a contender, but um, I, I think he is like, I mean, he has, he's an older college guy. He has a skill set. I think he is ready to produce if he's put in the right opportunity. Um, and without Schroeder, he might've been an even better opportunity. Like that, that could have fell a need for the Lakers, but if he's given the opportunity, I think he can produce, but even if it's a year down the line or two, I think it's worth it. So he is someone to keep an eye on another player on our list is Nate Hinton. Uh, he was a two-year player coming from Houston, uh, 6'5", 210, so a little bit bigger. He's also a guard. Uh, what can you tell us about him and, and why he would be a target for the Lakers? Yeah, he's just uh, – I, I don't like the the cliche, typical 3 and D guys, but a couple of these guys are that. And he actually does fit that category where he's a good shooter. Um, his offensive role is a stationary shooter. But – He's also a really good rebounder on offense and on defense for his size. He's actually, it's an incredible rebounder, high motor, and smart team defense. So all of that together with shooting is a is a pretty valuable role player. Nice. What? Um, so it sounds like three and D. That's a really nice, succinct archetype for for what he might be able to bring. What What are some of the weaknesses in his game? Yeah. So the weaknesses is pretty much uh, he doesn't bring that much else offensively besides. Uh, spotting up and shooting he's not that good at finishing at the basket and he isn't the best at attacking closeouts he has shown some attacking closeouts and he has shown where he can just pull up uh, against the closeout as well um, and finish but I, I think those when we go to the swing skills as well improving his ability to attack closeouts and finish at the rim is probably what will make him become a better player gotcha and pulling up some of his synergy stats in the 31 games he played this season, from a spot-up standpoint, there were a hundred different times where he caught the ball and then attacked and then shot. There were only let's see, 60, 50 or 60 times where he attacked that closeout, and he, you know, was okay taking pull-up jumpers, but he only shot three for five at the rim attacking closeouts in 31 games, which is that that that's not a. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say, oh man, this guy's really going to be able to to operate within that sort of role and, and be more of a dynamic score off of the bounce if you you know close out too hard on him or something like that. Um, so that yeah, it, it sounds like he can bring what he brings. Uh, he'll be a guy to keep an eye on. It looks like the finishing at the rim isn't isn't all that best. The best he's not going to be like an ISO player, um, but just a spot guy could potentially break into the rotation just as a stationary shooter, like you mentioned. Um, although there may be, you know, NBA caliber or NBA free agent guys that can can potentially fill that role. What would what would you see the future prospects for him looking like? Would would he does he pro- profile as someone who just this might always be someone who's a three and D player, and then you just try to move up from like a stationary shooter to maybe you know, a motion shooter, movement shooter, and then potentially uh, an off-screen shooter? Or does he have any sort of ball handling ability that might let him operate more on ball? 
No, I think he probably would stay as a shooter. He has he has shown some movement shooting, uh, like relocations and stuff. I don't think he'll ever be that that off screen shooter where he's running off screens and um, like turning mid air and stuff. Maybe he mm-hmm. can improve his his footwork a little more, so where he just doesn't need to turn mid air and he can just get set off screens very quickly and doesn't matter if he's reading the screen properly because if if they're going to jump it, you can just read the screen if they're. Um, trailing you you curl if they're going to try to go over you fade so like all that kind of stuff he can do that but yeah i think he's mostly just going to be the off-ball player who's spotting up and shooting around the perimeter but he won't hurt your team spacing because he he is a fine shooter gotcha okay looking at that survival analysis it looks like at least based on the mock drafts that this tool is using there's a hundred percent chance that he will be available at the 50th pick and then once you get to the end of that second round, he's still in like the, the 60s to 80% range. So he's someone that'll probably be on the board if the Lakers do buy a pick, regardless of if it's early in the middle or late in that second round. Where where do you have him? And actually, we can, we can get to this later. I'd love to know how you'd rank some of these guys uh, in more of the relative sense. Um, so moving on to the next player, we have Tyshawn Alexander. Uh, and he is coming from the Creighton Blue Jays, 6'4", almost 200 pounds, uh, 22 years old. What what can you tell us about this uh, guard who went to Oak Hill, guy from Charlotte, um, started 31 games for Creighton this past season and scored just about 17 points per game? Yeah, I think his what he can bring to the Lakers and his strengths are he's, he's a good shooter, put up high volume amount of shots as well. He can play a little bit of uh, on ball and off ball and he's a good guard defender i think that like i said before i'm not huge on comparisons but i think the kind of role that he can play and he has a similar play style to contavious caldwell pope actually so hmm. whether the lakers keep him which i hope they do they i think trading danny green i know he can't defend bigger guys like danny green does but trading him means kcp is that much more valuable as well still um I think even learning from KCP can be really valuable for him. But also, if KCP does end up not coming back, Tyson Alexander can hopefully fill that role eventually because he's a good movement shooter. He's not as good as a movement shooter as KCP is, but he's a good movement shooter. He actually has some passing to him as well. Watching KCP the whole year and a lot of Tyson Alexander, both teams run some similar actions for them on offense, and they both like they do the same exact stuff. So it's a very similar kind of play style. Interesting. I can see the appeal there if, you know, on a short turnaround going from last season to this season, if the Lakers need someone to fill that kind of role moving into next year, if KCP sits a game or gets hurt or something like that, I think having deeper bench players who you don't have to change your type of offense for, who you can literally just plug and play them in for a specific role within your offensive scheme has a lot of appeal. Where do you... uh, where, how would you view him um, in terms of, you know, what, what is the thing or two that you'd be looking, from, looking for from him that could help take him into being a, a really good steal at this spot in the draft? It's probably the improved movement shooting. Like I said, he has shown it before. But if he, if he can get to the level of KCP there, or even just a little bit below that, um, that's what it comes down to. Because I, I think he is a good guard defender. He has some limitations because he, he is a KCP size, so they can guard guards but when they go against the bigger wings like like DeRozan or those kind of guys they just shoot right over them even if they have mm-hmm. good defense you saw that with Kawhi Paul George DeRozan they're just not tall enough to guard those players so that those are his limitations on defense um I will say his aggressiveness 
um, guarding the ball does allow him to give up some penetration a little bit more often than you'd like. But I think overall he's a good good defender still, and he's a really good chaser. Um, so so if he's going to be on ball, having nice rim protector behind him would be valuable. But yeah, him off ball, really good chaser. Saw him against Seton Hall defending Miles Powell, who's a really good dynamic scorer in the Big East, and he did a really good job on Miles Powell. Nice. Yeah, that's a name I know. Um, and and that uh, speaks well to, to his defensive capabilities. If we look at that draft survival analysis tool, it gives him 100% chance to make it to the 50th pick. And then he's another guy that's probably going to go from 50 to 60. And even if you get to that 60th pick, there's still just above a 40% chance that he's still available. So there's a decent shot that he doesn't get drafted at all. Um, right. But he might be a later second round guy to take a look at. Yeah, so some of these players that we're talking about, I like for for Hinton and Alexander, I would personally draft them myself. But how we've seen how mock drafts and big boards and all that stuff is coming out, there I wouldn't be surprised at all if they go undrafted. But if the Lakers aren't happening to buy a second round pick this year, these guys can be had um, as undrafted free agents. So so that's mm-hmm. why I wanted to bring them up because while like you talked about, the Lakers will probably be looking to buy a second-round pick. And this year with the pandemic, other teams might be more willing to sell second-round picks. You never really know. Like there could, be f- there could be three or four picks sold that six or seven teams want to buy. Maybe the Lakers don't even get the pick. So you never really know. It's, it's, al- it's always hard to, I think, to expect you're going to buy a pick because you just never really know. But even if they can't buy a pick, there are some undrafted free agents that I would have personally drafted that I'd like to see them go after. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'll be interesting keeping an eye on these guys. And if the Lakers don't buy a pick, it might be because they have a list of four or five dudes and they get to a certain point in the draft where they say, okay, you know what? Some of these guys are going to be available anyway. There's no point in even trying to buy that pick. So yeah, watching out for them will will be interesting. The next guy, and this one's really interesting to me, we have a 6'5", about 200-pound guard in Sam Merrill from Utah State who has shot from three-point range 45%, 46%, 38%, and 41% in his four seasons in the MWC. And for the past two seasons, he's averaged about 20 points per game. What, What can you tell us about what Sam Merrill can bring to the Lakers and it, it sounds like he might bring some of that same sort of uh would he be more of an off-ball KCP kind of guy yeah I mean he, he wouldn't be like KCP um just because his defense is nothing like that mm-hmm. but but his combination of shooting and passing at his size is is really impressive um throughout his four years at Utah State he was uh 47.8 spot up shooter on threes 111 for 232 he's just an incredible shooter his he shot 51 percent a little over 51 percent his junior year from three on spot up three so just just an incredible shooter who has good size who can shoot off the movement he's also capable of shooting off the dribble um and he can create for himself in a pinch like if it's like a, a late shot clock situation you give him a side pick and roll he'll be able to make the if he has time to make the pass, he's a really good passer, actually. He can hit cross courts and pocket passes. He's actually a really good passer. But he's also a guy who can shoot off the dribble. So he, he probably won't be used on ball very often because there's going to be other guys that he'll be playing next to stars. And there's just not that many guys who are used on ball. But he can do it. But he's just a really good shooter. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Look, looking at his synergy data, his top play type was actually running the pick and roll. Um, and, and so like you said, but he, he is a really good shooter. So like you said, even though he's, he's coming from that kind of maybe more a primary creator 
kind of guy. Uh, maybe when he goes to the Lakers, just with with how things work out, or maybe even on other NBA teams, he, his role would shift just to make sure he's fitting in with everything they're doing and they've got the, the ball in the hands of the right players. But yeah, that that shooting ability and the fact that he has been a good pick and roll player and has that playmaking ability sticks out to me over some of the other guys where, you know, they're good shooters, but that's that's really what they've shown. For him, it might be he has that uh, potential from a pick and roll standpoint and he can come into the league being more of a shooter and then grow his game over time. And, and I see the, the potential there just because he's done it before. Um, that's that's what I see with him. Where would you say the weaknesses are in his game or what would be keeping him from being drafted earlier? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the reason he's not getting drafted earlier or drafted in general would be just because he's already 24 years old. So he's old. Um, if he was a few years younger, I think he'd be talked about much more as a prospect. I think that people have taken into his uh, account his age a little bit more than they should have because um, he's just really skilled and he's just good at basketball. Sometimes it's just that simple. Um, but another thing with him is he, he's, he's slow, so he's not very athletic and um, – He's just slow on the court. He he actually can move his feet, and sometimes his his size does help him defend individual because people can bounce off of him sometimes. But there are times where people will just drive by him as well, and he's not the best defender. Although I do think that he's a smart defender, and I don't think he will be a total liability on defense. I think that his offense should be able to outweigh his defense to where he can still be a positive on the floor. Um, but, but yeah, the, the main thing for him is, will he be able to hold his own off, uh, defensively? And if he does, I think he can be a solid player. Nice. Looking at where he might get drafted, that survival curve has him being available up until the 43rd pick. And then it, someone in their mock draft, I guess, had him at that point, but even at pick, let's say 50, there should be about an 80% chance he's available. And even at the end of the draft altogether, there's about a 60% chance that he's still available. So he's another player that might go undrafted. And by, between the six of these guys, there's a good chance that one or two or maybe even three of them, if they all have 40 or 50 or 60% chances of not getting drafted, might be available. So that's that's an interesting one. Um, let's move to the next guy. And the next player is, is it Najee Marshall? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Gotcha. From Xavier. What what can you tell us about him? He's a little bit younger, 22 years old, six foot seven. So I think the, the tallest guy that we've spoken about so far, um, he's more of a forward, has played three years in the Big East um, and is coming off of a 29% three-point shooting season, uh, but scoring about 17 points per game. Yeah. So he's probably more of a, I wouldn't say a project, but not as safe as a guy to bet on as the other players. But He's someone that brings slashing. He's a really good finisher at the rim who can finish with both hands. He has nice handles for his size, um, but he's, he's, he can pass for his size, but he's also a really good defender um, at his size as well, and he can defend guards with that length. He's someone who last year and this year, how I brought, a, how I brought up Tyson Alexander defending Miles Powell. Um, Najee Marshall was also an amazing defender, had an amazing game versus Miles Powell. And Miles Powell is like seven inches smaller than him. So he, he can affect uh, guards as well. Nice. And so defensively, what kind of role do you think he would profile into? Is he like a wing stopper or is he more of a like a big man defender? How, how do you see that translating to the NBA? Um, 
I think I'm not sure how his how his strength will be to be a full wing stopper, but I, I think you could just use him to, to at the point of attack or chase as a chaser also. So um, we'll we'll see. The, the unfortunate thing about the Big East is they didn't really get to play against those bursty kind of guards who can just like who have those crazy athleticism like Shamori Pons and Miles Powell. They're both good guards and they can score, but they don't have that like quick twitch athleticism. So we didn't really get to see him defend those guys to see if he can really stay ahead um, in front of them that often. But I think as a point of attack or a chaser, he he can do that. And then if he adds some strength, he can maybe be a wing stopper, but yeah, he's not going to be defending uh, bigs. Gotcha. And then offensively, when thinking about how he might fit in, let, I, I'm going to guess, and, and you let me know if this aligns with what you're thinking, he would be more of an athletic finisher, so more of an off-ball garter wing who is you know, finishing at the rim as a cutter or getting putbacks, or he'll do a bit of spotting up as well, but he's not going to be one of those on-ball guys, more of a slasher, um, or, or do you think he'd be more of an on-ball uh, like? ball handler getting to the rim do you, do you think he's more the on ball slash or the off ball athletic finisher no he, he's probably more of the athletic finisher off ball okay. um i will say that uh xavier he was put in that on ball role he i don't think that the team context was good for him particularly because they had very bad spacing and they had nobody who can create on their team so that he was just asked so much of him like Paul Scruggs um, isn't bad but they were just they asked so much out of him so it was that's why I think his numbers are a little worse than they should be although his numbers in general aren't good I think he's more of a, a, a risk to pick but I can see him he has good handles for his size and he is a good passer so I can see him playing that on-ball role like at that 100 percentile outcome but at the at the median outcome he's more just going to be an athletic finisher gotcha and thinking median outcome, how many years – do you think he's someone that would break into the Lakers rotation this year or he's more of a longer term next year or the season after that? It, it all comes down to the shot for him. Um, with Without the shot, I don't see him helping out the Lakers. But with the shot, I think that he has a really nice skill set and he's very talented to where he, he can provide value for the Lakers. I, I have heard that there are some – I don't want to get too deep into it, but there are some attitude questions with him. Um hmm. But don't want to get into that. But there's also shot selection with him. That's a little bit of concern. But like I mentioned before, I think team context and having no one else to do stuff. And he was asked so much. I think that can be attributed to the shot selection a little. But if the shooting comes around, I think he's a first round talent. But we don't know if the shooting's going to come around. Gotcha. Okay. And it looks like he's going to be an undrafted guy based on at least that that draft survival analysis that was put together. He has about a 90% chance to survive the the entire draft and be an undrafted free agent. So he's somebody to keep an eye on, maybe maybe someone to, to have in the G League look to develop and then bring up in a year or two. Uh, yeah, moving he, he's, to, like a Taylor, he's like a Taylor Horton Tucker where he's not like as skilled as him, but like he's one of those guys where you're just going to have to ease him in and, and hopefully the shot comes along, you work on that, and then maybe he'll be able to provide for the team. But that, that's like a, a high, I mean, not like the highest kind of upside play, but he, he has some nice upside to it. Gotcha. Okay. And then the last guy that we're going to be talking about, and this is the one player that I can provide some input for, is Cassius Winston from Michigan State. He super brilliant guy. He had an offer from Harvard. Uh, let me pull up his numbers right now. Um, smaller guard, but he was really great. Him and Xavier Tillman together were just so much fun to watch uh, for Michigan State. He's just, 
at the college level, he could do whatever you needed him to do from a pick and roll standpoint, no matter if the defense was playing drop coverage or switching or hard hedging um, and anything that they were throwing at him, those two guys with their skill sets were able to counter. He was a guy that could hit the pull-up threes. He could hit the pull-up twos. He finished pretty well at the rim, especially for his size. He's really crafty there. Um, obviously a smaller guy, I think when, when you start to talk about him, the concerns will be his size and his defense. Um, but just a really smart, smart cerebral player that was a very good passer, average about 19 points per game each of the past two seasons at Michigan State and shot 40 percent. Uh, well, let's see. So his freshman year, he shot 38 percent. Then he shot 50 percent. Then he shot 40 percent. And then he shot 43 percent. So Winston shot 43% this past year at Michigan State and was leading the team that looked to have a really good shot at winning the title before the season got called off. So what what can you tell us about Cassius Winston? Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. His his, his two concerns are size and defense, but he's just an incredible, incredible shooter. I just want to like put emphasis on that. He's a special shot maker. And I think that and he might have been probably um, against the drop coverage, probably one of the best players against the drop coverage this year. His ability to have some like against a big when they're dropping and have someone go over the screen and trailing him, his ability to pull up with a defender on his back and leaning forward and knock down the shots is incredible. Um, it, it's hard to find someone like that. The, the, like I said, size and defense are the concerns, like you said. And it's also always tough to rely on that special kind of shot making translate to the next level. But if someone were to do it, I think it could be him just because of how good of a shooter he is. Like you said, he's a good passer. There's a, another kind of comparison I actually will throw out there. Although, I mean, I guess I'm going to throw out a lot of comparisons today. Um, I could see him being in a similar type of role to Devonte Graham, not the same player, but a similar type of role where he provides value that way. That's interesting. Okay. I, I can see that. Now that you mentioned that, I can see some of the similarities in their play and how they might be able to be deployed. That that, that would be a, a pretty good outcome for Winston if he does make it. And looking at how long he might be available, of all the guys we've looked at today, he's the one that uh, it looks like may be gone the earliest based on these mock drafts that are used. Um, I know in a recent mock draft, um, who was it? Sam Vicini had him going much, much later than uh, some previous mocks have, had had him going. But looking at this survival analysis, he should survive the entire first round just about. But then starting with pick, you know, 30, 31, 32, uh, there's a chance he may go. If we look at him at pick, let's say 35, he should be about there. He should be there about 80% of the time. If we look at pick 40, he should be there about 40% of the time. So right there between like 35 and 40 is, is where it looks like he's going in a lot of mocks. Um, if we go to pick 50, he might be there 20% of the time. And there's close to a 0% chance he goes completely undrafted. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think that's um, about right. It, it's weird. Like I told you, up until a couple of days ago, he was mocked to go in the 20s in some drafts. And then today, people updated their mock drafts, and now he's going to the, uh, falling back to the 30s now. I wanted to say that. So he's probably very unlikely to, to be available if the Lakers do by a second. In the, last seven, in the last seven years, there hasn't been a pick sold in the top 35. And there's only been four picks sold in the top 40. So mm. it's, it's going to be hard to get in there because it's just uh, seven years is a decent sample size. And it has gotten a little bit lower recently just because teams are being more, they're not willing to sell picks as much as they used to be. But this year is different. We had a pandemic. Teams don't want to spend some money. So it could be different this year. I don't think there's, it's a very likely chance that he falls, but there's some 
possibility. Right. Okay. So I think we've talked about his strengths. We know his weaknesses uh, in talking about what could make him be a really good value at wherever he's picked. I think it comes down to that defense in terms of the roles for him offensively. He's nice and flexible because he is such a good shooter that he can play off ball and Michigan State did use him a good bit within their sets running off of screens and he's he's really smart off ball in terms of relocating from from what I'm able to tell uh how do you see his fit with the Lakers from a role standpoint offensively and then defensively what what do you do with him so yeah so first defensively what you do with him is you just have to try hide him and hope the defense can make up for it I think that the Lakers are one of the teams who have like the thing with the Lakers is they didn't really have that many bad defenders. Um, Rondo wasn't great, but they didn't have that many bad defenders, so they didn't really have to make up for that many players, and they just didn't really go after those kind of guys that often. So I do think that that might be something that they think about. But I do think the Lakers do have the kind of players that can make up for his defense. I mean, AD is a rim protector or who can switch. That, that helps a lot. Um, for offense – like you said, he can play off the ball. There's just so many different ways to use him offensively. You can have him have some primary ball handler, secondary, I guess secondary ball handlers. Uh, no, he can do both. He can do all of that, but he also can play off the ball. He can relocate. He can shoot off screens. So I think it just depends on who else is going to be on the court with him. If he's on the court with LeBron, he'll be used off the ball more. But if he's on the court without LeBron, they might go to him for some more offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with him, it's just he's like literally my size, like six one, six two, like one eighty five. Um, so figure, yeah. So I, just imagining someone my size going down there and, and playing games and trying to finish at the rim is just tough to tough to contemplate. But he is crafty with his finishing. He's had to deal with that for a while. So. I, I hope the best for him. Uh, he signed my birthday card this past year. Um, so I'm a big Cassius Winston fan. I would love for him to get drafted, uh, especially to the Lakers. But we'll see what happens. Even if he doesn't, I'm sure he'll be – if he's not in the NBA, he'll be kicking butt in the G League or something because he's just a smart, really good basketball player. If his physical skills were – or if his physical tools were – like if you make him like four inches taller, he's – you know, a completely different prospect in my eyes. Um, if he is drafted, he's a lottery pick. He's a lottery pick if he's a little bit taller. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's just very talented, and like you said, uh, if it's not in the NBA, he'll he'll kill the G League, or he'll just be a really really good overseas player. Mm-hmm. Uh, ho- hopefully, the NBA works out for him. I'm rooting for him. I think he can make it work, but we'll see. Yeah. And if he does get drafted to the Lakers, uh, thinking about when he might be able to play, he strikes me as a guy that he would be able to play sooner rather than later just because he already kind of has those skills refined. We know his weaknesses, but if you need him to go out there and be a secondary ball handler or a primary ball handler, he should be able to do that in year one. Is is that right? Yeah, I think pretty much everyone that we talked about besides Najee Marshall, and even if his shot comes around, maybe him, but probably not. I think almost everyone, um, they do have skill sets to to be able to play day one mentioned it multiple times it is always tough on a contender and they don't trust rookies that often Mm -hmm. but yeah he he has a skill set to be able to produce from uh from from day one gotcha and i think you've done a really good job cultivating a list that fits what the lakers specifically would be looking for we saw a lot of shooting we saw some guys with uh like Najee marshall marshall he's got that defense um, I, I think a lot of what you put together and a lot of what we're looking at makes a lot of sense for for LA and what they'd be looking to do. Now, between the six guys that we talked about, if the Lakers are so you said that 
very few picks have been bought, what was it, before 40? Yeah, so over the last seven years, there's only been four picks that have been bought before 40. And that, that's not like, there has been some that's been like a future second and cash, but I'm, I'm talking about strictly just cash considerations for a mm-hmm. pick. Only four of them in the top 40. So pretty much from 36 to 40, only gotcha. four in the last seven years. Okay. If, if the Lakers end up with a pick, let's say at 50, who would be, or I guess what would be the order of the six players that you mentioned that they should be looking to grab somebody, whether they're available or not? What, what would your personal preference be? Okay. So, so Grant Riller is number one, multiple tiers ahead of everyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then you probably, I probably go with a, a combination of either Cassius Winston, Nate Hinton, and Tyson Alexander. Any of those threes would be like the next tier for me. And then the following tier would be Sam Merrill and Najee Marshall. Um, if the Lakers had, how do you feel about the Lakers like shooting coach and, or, or not shooting coach, but like, how do you think they develop shots? I think that's a tough thing to take a look at just because it can change so quickly. And, right. and But I'll say that I have as much confidence in Phil Handy and what he's been able to do as anybody. I don't know what his exact specialty is, but let's, let's assume that the Lakers are able to develop shooting, not at like some crazy, like abnormal rate, but just above average. How does that yeah, change your so, analysis? So yeah, I, I probably would have Najee Marshall a little bit, a little bit higher than Okay. Um, just because I, I think that he has a, a really good skill set. It just comes down to the shot, and that's just a big question with him. Well, everyone else that we talked about is uh, a above-average shooter. But, yeah, so Grant Riller, Tier 1, by himself, pretty easily for me. And then Nate Hinton, Tyshawn Alexander, and Cash would be there with, with Najee Marshall there as well, but sort of in the middle, and then, and, then, and then Sam Merrill. But I like them all. I wouldn't be mad if we got Sam Merrill and none of the other ones because he's a really good mm-hmm. player. Yeah, and I think part of it may depend on, for for the Lakers maybe more than some other teams just because they are where they are, it might depend on what they think they can do in free agency and who they might be planning to sign. Um, Maybe they're looking for a KCP replacement type of player or maybe they're looking for more of a point guard type of player. Maybe they're looking for more of one of those uh, wing, off-ball, athletic finisher kinds of guys. And that might shape their decision-making. But I think with any of these guys, you probably look at it as best player available, I'd assume. It's, it sounds like you have some pretty clear tiers, at least among the ones that we talked about. Um, yeah, are there I any mean, other... Wait, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, to be fair, like if, if, if people prefer Sam Merrill over the other guys that were not Grant Riller, um, I honestly wouldn't question it that much. I still prefer a few guys over him. But... I under like I understand like the the two through six in any order to an extent. I just think Grant Riller is clearly who I would take over the other ones, and that's not to say he's a hundred percent going to be better than them. I mm-hmm. just like his combination of his skill set and his upside more than everyone else. Gotcha. Okay, that'll be that'll be good to keep in mind. Uh, any other names you want to throw out there that fans should be googling and, and ready for the draft? We don't have to dig into anybody, but are there any other? names that didn't quite make this list that should just be, uh, it'd be good to be aware of. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give some more no names. Like let's say none of these players become available because they sign somewhere else or they get drafted and the Lakers don't buy a pick. Um, I think Trent Forrest is a, is a guy who can be an undrafted free agent. There, there's, there's so many guys that would have been nice to see in summer league this year. Mm-hmm. And it sucks for these, these fringe NBA players who, who aren't getting the chance to have a summer league because, a lot of these players 
could have made could have gotten contracts or two ways or whatever from their summer league and we're going to have a limited preseason and no summer league so it sucks for these french players trent forrest is a, a really good defender a shot's a question mark for him as well but he probably doesn't fit what the lakers want that off that much but he's someone i'd keep an eye on just as a as an undrafted guy nate darling is a, a really good shooter out of delaware played the same conference as grant riller um, and then someone who probably should get drafted but there's the health concerns is kelly and tilly um, there, there are so many players that we could talk about and mention, but I think we, we talked on a good amount right here um, and went into depth on these players. Perfect. Yeah, love it. Are there any guys who, just like we've talked about, Winston's kind of slipped down draft boards or mock drafts a little bit recently. Are there any players who might slip in similar ways that you weren't really considering until recently? Um. Not really. I, I think he has been the biggest the biggest drop recently, to be honest. It was um, he actually like I, I always expected him to go between like the thirty to, to thirty five forty range, and then once he was starting to get to get mocked in the, like the mid twenties, I'm like, okay, it's a little higher than I expected. Although I'm not totally against it. There's players that I prefer, but he's still a good player. Um, but but yeah, just seeing him drop to to late thirties now was a little bit surprising. Pulling up a, a mock quickly to see if anyone else has dropped a little. Mm-hmm. There there hasn't been that many people that have dropped. Um, I think that I think Nico Mannion has someone that's dropped um, from early in the year to later in the year, but he, he has dropped through. It wasn't like a quick drop; it has dropped just subtly throughout the year. Um, I don't think he'll be available to where the Lakers can buy a pick, so probably don't have to go too deep into him. But he he would fit the Lakers. Um, and then yeah, there, there hasn't been really anyone else who's dropped much. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I'm just throwing out random questions. Uh, are there any other? You said so. Killian Tilly would be someone to keep an eye on if we're looking at guys who might have some upside but have some injury concerns or other red flags, are there any other guys like that who we might see the team go after that maybe they don't even play for a year um, because they're hurt, but then they come back and they look like a good pick or someone that might have some character concerns that ends up being a really good player later on? Yeah. um, Honestly, not this draft class, but last draft class, I want to know what's up with Charles Matthew um Ooh, see what okay. if, if if he recovered from his injury if, if he has recovered i would 100 percent be looking at him i don't know what his what his health is after that um injury when he was in the pre-draft process last year but he's someone that i think people have forgotten about um and i'd be very interested to see how he's doing cool okay another name to we, we've been throwing a lot of names at you uh, i hope uh on on the listener end you're taking some notes um but make sure to follow zach on twitter as he's at zach milner 13 um they can go follow you for all that great draft analysis is there anything uh that you have coming up over the next couple of days that we should be keeping an eye out for other than your uh live reactions during the draft um no i I had recently just released um, a piece on sam merrill so nothing coming out more um i've pretty much talked about most of the players that we've we've discussed in all my i've actually written about all written about all six of these guys on the step in so if you guys want to go more in depth on those players go to the stepin.com and um go to those articles uh i wrote a, a a long piece on grant riller talking about why i think he's so good and there's a lot of film in it as well and then on the other guys i did scouting reports or a quick like four or five minute summary with some clips of why i think there'll be potential second round values so i would just look at that i don't have anything planned to come out right now um i was gonna do a a free agency thing but with this quick turnaround i don't even have time for that so it's pretty much just gonna start preparing for for next draft class and and get scouting reports out that way 
Awesome. Yeah. I, now that I asked the question, I realized that, you know, the draft's in two days. All <laughs> that work's already been done. Um, so, yeah, everybody go check those out. I'll try to link to some of those uh, Stepien reports in whenever I tweet this out. Um, so definitely go check those out if you want to make sure you're keeping straight who's who and, and have that pulled up as the draft is happening. Um, just like you said, I, I think I'm on the opposite end of things where I've been focusing on free agency and they just have not had time to look at the draft at all. Um, so right. lots of us in that in each other's shoes in different ways. Um, so I, yeah. I guess there's one more player actually that I'll bring up. Um, J- Jalen Harris out of Nevada. I'm not sure if you know anything about him, but he's a, he's another really good scorer. He's also crazy athletic. Um, I, I guess I wouldn't say crazy. He's very bouncy, at least. Very bouncy. Really good scorer. Can shoot. And, yeah, I would watch him as another one of those potential late second or undrafted guys. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Zach. Uh, I think we we hit everything I was looking to hit. So thank you for joining us. Um, again, everyone can, can follow Zach on Twitter at ZachMilner13. We will be getting this up as soon as possible. Uh, so hopefully you're prepared for the NBA draft. We'll be back with you, Tom and I, on Wednesday. And then Friday, we'll be talking trades, what happens in the draft, free agency, uh, whatever big news is in Lakers world. Um, it's it's We're finally here. It's There's been a lot of prep work the past couple weeks, but now we can just kind of sit back, not quite relax, because we'll still have to do plenty in terms of reacting. Um, but I feel much more prepared after, just from the past hour than I did an hour or two ago um, and am really ready for this to just unfold. And I think with all the different trades and everything happening, we'll see some interesting movement for star players, role players, some free agency signings. It'll be a matter of, you know, will this guy take the MLE or will he take the BAE or all that sort of stuff. So stay in touch. Keep uh, keep locked in. Um, you can find me at Twitter uh, on Twitter at uh, Tim underscore MBA. Um, go follow Zach, go f- check out his work at the Stepian. Um, this has been the B-Ball Index Podcast. Thank you, everyone. All right. Sweet. Cool. And it looks like your it looks like your audio is good, so I can download that. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.